We're blessed this morning to have with us Willie Franklin. He's from a lot of places, but I think currently somewhere around Benton, Texas. Uh, Many of our folks who were teenagers back in the 70s and 80s remember him for some of the youth rallies and gatherings that he did in, in this area. He made several visits to the Maryville congregation uh, during that period of time, and they decided they wanted to have a reunion, and they wanted Willie to come. So Willie's here. They've had the reunion. Uh, it's continuing today. We're delighted to have uh, Willie with us. Willie was a standout football player in college, All-American in track. He played football professionally with the Baltimore Colts and Los Angeles Rams, and he gave up professional ball to move up a level and become a minister of the gospel of Christ. Uh, If you've read your bulletin, you've been able to see all of the many missions that uh, Willie has gone to in taking the gospel of Christ, and at this time, we're going to welcome him to our Sunday morning Bible class. Willie? Good morning. Is everybody sitting where they normally sit? (laughs) Some of y'all don't think this is going to be good, I see. (laughs) Based on where you're sitting. Why is it always our front rows are empty? Is this the only row where you sit on when you're repenting? (laughs) When I became a new Christian... Back in 1900 and none of your business. <laughs> they didn't have second benches on the sideline. And so I would bring Greg Pruitt and all my football teammates to services. And we'd all come 30 minutes late and walk up and sit on the front row. Because there's no second bench on the sideline in football. So whenever we walked into a building... 30 minutes late, 4 minutes late, we all come up here, sit on the front row, and fell right to sleep. <laughs> because we were recovering from the beating we were taking on Saturdays. It was an adjustment when I became a Christian because I wasn't used to sitting or listening and me calling that worship. You know, I was always active, and so when I became a Christian, uh, I wanted to know what we were doing after we left here. We huddle up. This is a huddle, right? We huddle up on Sundays, and then we say, break, and we go out there in the world, and we got to go do something to help other people come to know the gospel of Jesus. Amen? That word gospel is mentioned 101 times in the New Testament. So I would encourage you to study and get to know something about the gospel of our Lord. Because he said, go in all the world and preach the gospel to who? Oh, man, we need more black people here. (laughs) Go preach the gospel to every creature. Well, if we look at the way America's going, we're not getting the job done. Now, the Lord has given us a command, and we're to take it. Of course, we're not supposed to hit people over the head with it. 
But he said, take it to every creature. And so I taught and baptized Chuck Fairbanks' son and daughter, who was the head coach at Oklahoma. Barry Switzer's son is a deacon in the church. That's my world. So I go after athletes. If you're an athlete, I'm after you. <laughs> Whether you're retired or otherwise. Because people don't miss. God has blessed us athletes. We can run, we can jump, we can catch, we can throw, we can tackle. In sports, I didn't want to sit on the bench. Well, I'm not going to become a Christian and think sitting on a bench, I've done something. What'd you do this morning? Tolerated the preacher. (laughs) 59 times it stands by itself, the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Fifty-nine times it stands by itself alone, the gospel. It means good news, but the heart of that gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. Paul said, I made known unto you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you see, by which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold firmly to the words I preached unto you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you a first most importance. First thing people need to be taught is the gospel, because if they don't learn that, they're not going to agree on anything else either. And so I always start with the gospel. First thing I made known to you, he said, the gospel. If you hold firmly to the words I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you a first most importance, how to Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to? Yes, sir. This scripture. I had never heard that before. I've heard in churches. I had never known what the gospel was. We got people in the Lord's body that don't know what the gospel is. I ask people, you say? Yeah, I'm saying. How do you know? They said, I've been baptized. I said, when? They said, 30 years ago. You think what you did 30 years ago still saves you today? Not. (laughs) There's no such thing as once baptized, always saved. But you got a lot of people believing that. It's learning the gospel so that we have opportunity to talk to people about that. So I asked folks, okay, explain the death to me. When Jesus died on the cross, amen? He died on the cross for our sins. Most folks have heard that. I said, okay, explain the burial. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. Why not just death and resurrection? There's a word used in the Bible called mystery. Matthew chapter 13, verse 13 and following. The disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parable? He says, to you it's been given to know the mysterion, Greek word. The mystery, it means a hidden sacred secret. To you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom, but to the rest I speak in parables. So seeing they will not see, hearing they will not understand, because their hearts are dull. 
They get tired of it. The Jews got dull of God's teachings. Lest they should turn and see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Repent and I would heal them. Look at what's happening to America. America has become dull to hearing the word of God. We need to do something about that. Now, if any of y'all ever came to my mama's house with me, the first thing I tell you is, don't put your feet on my mama's furniture. Okay? She'll slap a suntan upside your head. <laughs> do not get up and go in her refrigerator. We lived there and we couldn't do it. <laughs> and so the first thing I started doing was warning people when they came to my house. You don't want my mama getting a hold of you. Are you warning anybody about our God? He's coming. He's coming. I don't want anyone to be lost. I mean, Luke 16 with the rich man, he and his brothers didn't get along because they were all rich. But when he got into hell, he said, send Lazarus to my father's house. I got five brothers. He didn't even want his brothers coming to hell. He knew they wasn't living right before he got there. Why didn't he do something? Well, you know how people are. That's going to mess up our get-together at Christmas with all the family. That's going to mess up Thanksgiving dinner if, if we start getting on them about their drinking, about their stealing, about their dishonesty. And so he just let them go to hell. Well, I ain't been home for Christmas since 1967. So I'm not one of them people that's worried about some special holiday. My concern is about people's soul. The mystery. Look at Romans. You got a Bible. Romans 16. Beginning of verse 25. Paul writes, now to him that is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. There it is, a hidden sacred secret, which has been kept silent through time eternal, but now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophet according to the commandment of the eternal God is made known unto all nations, unto obedience of faith. There's that mystery. People searched, and they couldn't find it. They searched for years, and they couldn't find it. Men will never find it. It has to be revealed by God. That's why we've been told to study to show ourselves approved, not to your Sunday school teacher, to God. Work men and women, who need not, not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So God expects us to study. Why? Because these words come out of his heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, unto you, came not with excellence of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 4, and my speech and my preaching 
were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Six, we speak wisdom, however, among those that are full grown, yet a wisdom not of this world, nor of the rulers of this world who are coming to naught. But we speak God's wisdom in a, there it is again, mystery, mysterion, even the wisdom that has been hidden, which God foreordained before the world unto our glory which none of the rulers of this world hath known. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Son of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written, things which eyes saw not, ears heard not, and which entered not into the heart of men, whatsoever things God prepared for them that love him. 10, but unto us God did what? It takes God to reveal truth. Do y'all remember the transfiguration? Matthew 17, Luke chapter 9, and there appeared to Jesus, who was it? Moses and Elijah. Of course, Moses representing the law. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. The reason that transfiguration took place because a lesson had to be taught. Peter wanted to make Moses and Elijah equal to Jesus. Let's build three tabernacles. Are you kidding me? There's only one only begotten Son of God. That word begotten means he's the only one of his kind. Nobody else like him. So the crowd, the cloud overshadowed Peter, and the voice thundered out of that cloud, shut him up, and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That excluded Moses, the law. That excluded the prophets. Now you listen to Jesus. One of the gospel writers tells us, Peter started speaking, but he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> he got a little carried away. The Lord came to reveal this. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Verse 6 says, I marvel that you are so quickly removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto a different gospel, which is not another gospel, only there are some that will trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, should preach unto you any other gospel other than that which was preached unto you, let them be eternally condemned. It's an unchanging gospel. We're in the 21st century church the 21st century. If they tried to build an all-black Walmart, they'd go broke, wouldn't they? Because <laughs> we all like to go to Walmart. <laughs> if they tried to build an all-Hispanic Walmart, they'd go broke. Because people can shop at Walmart that don't even know English. They like going there because the price is right. You can't beat their prices because they buy, they buy in bulk. We're in the 21st century, we still got black churches, church buildings, white church buildings, Hispanic church buildings. That they come from the gospel. So apparently, we're not getting the job done. If you want to know why America is going the way she's going, take a look around. We're not getting the job done. 
of taking the gospel to all the world. If we're going to be the people of God, let's be the people of God and say true to Scripture. Because persecution is around the corner. And it's around the corner because we've been sitting back in our comfortable chairs, air-conditioned building, and not doing squat. You can talk to talk or you can walk to walk. I like walking to walk. I did not know that Galilee is 120 miles north of Judea. The Jews could walk 20 miles a day. So it took them six days, Jesus and his disciples, to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. Six days. That was a six-day journey. And they did it often. So to hang out with Jesus, <laughs> you better get fit. <laughs> They ain't got no 7-Elevens, no QTs. I think the disciples saw a little wheat field, and, and they jumped it. <laughs> Reverend, they wheat through the hands. They're like, man, Jesus ain't pulling over to get a snack. Because he was about business. And here's his business right here, you and I. One woman at a store one day ran into the preacher after services. She didn't come that morning. He encouraged her, sister, hope we can see y'all next week. She went home upset, honey, I ran into that preacher. He made me feel bad because we hadn't gone there. He said, if I'd have been there, I'd have told him to mind his own business. She said, if you would have, you'd have been there, you would have thought you were his business. <laughs> we are each other's business. How wonderful it is to see so many of you that have remained faithful. It touches my heart. It lets me know our labor was not in vain. And that's what keeps me going. I know there's another one out there that don't know the gospel. They don't know the mystery. Matthew tells us, because Matthew wants us to know about the law Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. Luke writes for a different purpose. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 9 that they were asking Jesus a question. I didn't catch that for a long time. They were asking Jesus about deliverance that was about to take place at Jerusalem. They wanted to know about the gospel. Who was Moses going to evangelize since he was been dead for thousands of years? <laughs> Who was Elijah going to evangelize? It was not for them that they was wanting to know about it. Look at First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. This is something that caught my attention. I begin about verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1 about verse 10. Concerning this salvation, amen, the prophets sought and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Verse 11. Searching what time and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them was pointing unto when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ 
and the glory that should follow. To whom it was revealed, there it is, God reveals it, that not unto themselves, but unto you, that they minister these things, which now has been announced to you through them that preach, what church? The gospel unto you by the Holy Spirit, sent from God, or sent forth from heaven, which things angels desire to look into. You mean prophets sought, searched, dug diligently? But you can't study your way there. God has to reveal it. In other words, our heart has to be open to truth. And God will reveal it. These men studied, and they searched for thousands of years. They couldn't put it together. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. This scripture made me want to cry. Really moved me. Revelation 5 and verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and on the back, closed, sealed with seven seals. Verse 2. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a great voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Verse 3. No one in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, was able to open a book and to look therein. Watch what the writer says he did. Verse 4, and I wept. We all would. There would have been no hope for the human race. Because no one was found worthy to open a book and to look thereon. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep not. Behold, the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome to open a book and the seven seals thereof. And I saw in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a lamb standing as though it had been slain, having horn and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth to all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having each a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, worthy art thou to take the book and to open the seal thereof. For thou wast slain and didst purchase unto God with the, thy blood men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made them to be unto God a kingdom of priests. And they reigned upon the earth. That's us. Nobody in heaven, on the earth, on the earth, was found worthy to open this book. But the Lion of Judah, Jesus himself. That's how important this gospel is. He didn't entrust it to prophets. He didn't entrust it to angels. Because we know that the angels spoke in the burning bush to Moses. The Son of God himself, 
John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He took on flesh, and He came down here to be one of us because He wanted to deliver this message. This valuable message is the most, most valuable message on the face of the earth that ever will be, and He delivered it to His bride. Amen, church. To the twelve and the twelve to us. I believe this to be that book that no one was found worthy to open it until Jesus was found worthy. I don't ask the people to slap me on the back because I quit pro football, people. Jesus left heaven. That's how valuable this message is. Football was not valuable. <laughs> people ask me if I miss football. You got a hole in your head? <laughs> This is what I was missing. God's huddle. God's family. God's people. This is where I was supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's telling others of the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen, church? It hadn't impacted me until I realized what Jesus has done. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Jesus never committed one sin. Perfect. And when he died on the cross, he died for the sins of every believer that ever sinned. God put on him the sin of us all. And yet he gave Jesus our life, and then he gave us Jesus' life. When he looks at us, he sees perfection because he sees the blood. Wow. Christ traded places. That boggles my mind. My dad left home when I was about 10 years old, so I didn't know what a man was. And so all the guys in my neighborhood, they had their walk. What's up? <laughs> so I thought, okay, let me try some of that. Maybe that'll make me a man. And now that I got older, I, I don't have to try to fake it now. <laughs> so I thought playing sports, that'll help make me a man. So I... Do the 3,000 push-ups, the 5,000 jump ropes and all this exercise and run into people. I found out I didn't fit in pro football. You see, every town that we flew into, these guys fly into these towns every year because you're in a league, a conference. You play certain teams every year. Well, they got girlfriends in all these towns because they go there every year. I get back to town and all the wives heard I was a Christian. They're like, is my husband cheating on me? Tell the truth and they ship you out. Lying, you're not a Christian. Now you see why I retired? The wives knew what their husbands were doing. They started it in college. That's why my son, myself, Tim Tebow, other guys that put God, try to put God first. Professional sports don't want religious people. 
My son was the number four dual threat quarterback in the nation. Not one Christian school recruited him. You know why? <laughs> it's a package deal. <laughs> I went down to Hardy, 1975, when I quit pro football. I coached for one year at Hardy. I baptized about 15 of the football players. Coach wrote me a note. We no longer need your assistance. <laughs> they thought I would put football over God. You must be high. <laughs> when they saw that I was serious about my faith, I've never spoken to a football team at Harding University in 50 years of being a Christian. Me nor my son, both of us ministers, we get invited to no Christian schools to speak to any athletes. I remember asking the question, why are our schools apostatizing? Brother Thomas B. Warren told me before he died, he said, well, these schools are not blood-bought. The church is. Let's not start putting our hope somewhere else besides Jesus and his bride. That's why this gospel is valuable. We came back to America in 1991 from the mission field of Papua New Guinea. I wanted to know what my faith was made of and to get off these little padded pews and chairs. Over in Papua New Guinea, their benches are built out of tree limbs. They're no thicker than that. In other words, you can't sit on both buttons at the same time. <laughs> One of them goes numb, you got to switch to the other. <laughs> you don't fall asleep or you don't wake up. <laughs> You sit on a tree limb. I really wanted to know what my faith was made of. I wanted to get out of plush Christianity. So going to the mission field and learning some different languages, they knew nothing about football over in Papua New Guinea. All the preachers here was like, well, you get invited to preach because you play football. That's why they invite you. Well, let me find out. So I go to Papua New Guinea and get over in the jungle, and I'd heard they eat people over there. Cannibalism. So I started working out because I said, okay, if they're going to eat me, they're getting beef jerky. <laughs> they it's not going to be teriyaki. <laughs> and the scary thing was their faces are tattooed. Their earlobes hang past their shoulders because they put decorations in their ears for all their celebration. They got pig tusk in their nose. And they are a culture that tries to intimidate any foreigner. So you never go any place by yourself, and you can't go outside after 4.30. Sidewalks roll up, everything closes at 4.30, everything, because that's when all the criminals come out. And you walk by them, and they'll try to intimidate. Ah! They'll just yell, ah! And so it was an adjustment. And I tried to tone it down coming back here. Over in Papua New Guinea, we did what was called open-air preaching. It wasn't about preaching inside buildings. They don't have cars. So at your bus stops, you got 5,000 people trying to catch the bus, or they're going to have to walk about 20 miles. And so we all go out to the bus stops, and we get to preach before the bus gets there. I've been doing all together. Good afternoon. Me, I'm a set up, I you, name belong Jesus. I'm very happy to stand before you and to preach in the name of Christ. Now, if you get up going, uh, I'm happy to be 
here this morning, and they stone you with coconuts. <laughs> if your convictions don't come across in your preaching or teaching, they're going to stone you. Our evangelists got beat up daily. I came close to that happening a few times. But my size scared a few people. I used to lie when I was young. People say, what would you do if, you, if somebody slapped you? I used to lie. I said, turn the other cheek. Don't believe that. <laughs> I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. <laughs> I just pray I wouldn't kill you. I'm human like anybody else. But I want to be as much like Christ as I can as everybody else. So one of the things I don't do, I don't go places where people are capable of slapping my face. I don't put myself in situations where evil companionship can corrupt good morals. I learned to stay out of all those types of places. So I've never had to deal with that. The Lord has blessed me not to get in those situations. I've had shotguns in my ear in Papua New Guinea in some Bible studies. I've been charged by machetes. And it makes me do 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I think about what I think in those situations. I, I think about, am I scared? Why was I scared? Do I really believe this stuff? Is this really real? Put yourself in situations where you have to see if it's real and watch God work. They told me here in America that I was, I never graduated high school. They put me in one of these little counseling classes and I didn't learn what an octagon was till I got married. I didn't know, you know, stop sign, octagon. I didn't know. And I had to fit all these squares and rectangles. That wasn't my world. My world was survival. And so I didn't pass that little test, so they put me in special education classes and told me I was ADD, AHD, and ABCDEFG. <laughs> oh, it's funny now. It wasn't back then because everybody at school called you a dummy and a retard. But sports started out giving me some confidence. But that only goes so far. I was afraid of becoming the kind of man I had seen in my father before he left. He was an alcoholic. He's a rigid pedophile at 89 years old. Before I became a Christian, my biggest fear was that I would end up being like him. And so I ran from San Diego. Hadn't been back there since 1968. I was afraid of becoming like him. And so my search was, why am I here? What am I supposed to do while I'm here? And what's going to happen to me when I leave here? I had those questions. And so I went searching. Yes, I was playing sports, football, track, wrestling. But in my heart, I'm searching for answers. And finally, 1973, one of the coaches at Oklahoma University was a minister in the Church of Christ. And he heard me asking people questions. And he sat down and started to answer my questions. He said, the Lord answered your question 2,000 years ago. Are you kidding me? He knew what I was going to ask. He said, well, he made you. <laughs> I didn't think about all that. I'd ask a question. He'd show me what the answer was. Just blew me away. 
Chuck Fairbanks, who had been the head coach at Oklahoma University, he had become the head coach of the New England Patriots. He said, Willie, you can come up here and I will guarantee you a spot on the New England Patriots team. I said, Coach, I'm done. I found what I'm looking for in life. Or it has found me. I got Jesus. Well, Chuck was a John Wayne fan, so he called everybody partner. So he's like, partner? He said, you can do that in the offseason. I knew then he hadn't read 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Paul told Timothy, be instant in season, out of season. And he wasn't talking about football season. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> he's like, partner, you can do that in the offseason. Is there offseason? Uh-uh. In season, out of season. When it's popular, when it's not popular. I was angry at Chuck for a lot of years. Because they didn't play me my last year at Oklahoma University. Never played one game. They were giving me a shaft. And I didn't get drafted because of what they had done, and I'd been angry. When I became a Christian, I ended up teaching Chuck's son and daughter, Gwen and Chuck Jr., the gospel. In the 90s, Chuck got bad health. I found out about it, and I began to call Chuck. I called Chuck for some 10, 15 years every day and had a prayer with him before he passed. And I thank Coach for mentioning me, the best thing that could have happened. It made me examine myself, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And to look at what kind of man that I want to become. Young men, what kind of man do you want to be? The greatest model you got is Jesus. Amen? Here's God's own son coming down here to show us how God wants us to live. That just boggles my mind. I like y'all, but I wouldn't leave heaven to come down here for you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I ain't there yet. <laughs> I'm trying to get there. But he did. I never dreamt that I would meet somebody that loved me more than my mama. Jesus is the first person I met that loved me more than my mama. And my mama died lost. I tried 40 years to teach you the gospel. But sin will do a job on your mind. How much time I got? Three minutes. Man, you're good. <laughs> Avon Malone used to say, we got a lot of clock-eyed brethren. Church, what I realize is she's not going to be my mama in the next life. God loved my mama more than I did. Amen? Nobody can love us like God. Nobody has loved me like Jesus. Nobody. So whatever it is, I can sacrifice that he might better be seen in me. I'm willing to do such because he did that for me.
Don't know when we shall see each other again, you reunion people. But what a thrill it's been for my heart, for my soul to see you all, to be with you. But there's work to be done. Constantly I'm running into young men and women that no longer is a part of this body that I used to know way back when. I walked into a shop last week to get a lawnmower fixed. Pilot Point, Oklahoma, uh, Pilot Point, Texas, north of Denton. Lady looked at me and she said, I know you. I said, yes, ma'am, people confuse me with Elvis Presley. <laughs> she said, no. And she didn't smile. She said, no. She said, I know you. I knew immediately because it's happened so often. I knew immediately she had been a member. I said, yes, ma'am, I've been in ministry for 50 years. She said, that's it. She said, you know my brother, Don Schaefer, down in Houston, Texas. I said, yes, ma'am. Me and I are very close friends. She said, I'm his sister. We hadn't seen each other for 30 years. She's out of duty. So I'm going to take some more lawnmowers there. <laughs> I'm going to take some weed eaters. He and I talked. He said, she called me. She says she knows running into you wasn't accidental. God's trying to speak to her. Everybody I meet, I know God brings me in touch with them for a reason. And my statement is normally, it's time to come home. The Father from heaven has sent me to tell you, it's time to come home. That's what we're about. I knelt to pray, but not for long. I had too much to do. Must hurry up and get to work for bills would soon be due. And so I knelt and said a hurried prayer and jumped up from my knees. My Christian duty was not done. My soul could be at ease. All through the day, I had no time to speak a word of cheer. No time to speak of Christ to friends. They'd laugh at me, I fear. No time, no time. Too much to do. That was my constant cry. No time to give to those in need. At last was time to die. And when before the Lord I came, I stood with downcast eyes. In his hand, he held a book. It was the book of life. God looked into his book and said, your name I cannot find. I once was going to write it down, but never found the time. Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. Don't get so busy making a living that you forget to live a life, the life of Jesus. I've had to alter my life and praise God that he gave me the opportunity to alter that life. If you care about this world starting here in America, you're going to have to alter some things. I don't have time for football. I don't have time for TV. I don't have time for a lot of that stuff I made time for before because... I want to be prepared, 1 Peter 3, 15. I always be ready to give an answer to those who ask the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and respect. Salvation rests, somebody's soul rests in your hands based on how prepared you are to show them the love of Jesus. They didn't let us take our playbook on the football field. It had to be here. Yet a live color, 
Every game it changed. So when Johnny Unitas would come up and he'd say, Red 16, Red 16, he changed it every game. But if he said, White 34, White 34, he just changed the play. You jump off sides, $500. You overweight, $1,000 every pound. Third time it triples. These coaches can't whoop these 350-pound guys, but they can hit you in their pocketbook. <laughs> Church, I am so thankful to be a part of this family. Thank you all for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for Jesus. You all taught me to love my mama again. I left home with a lot of anger. She whipped me with an extension cord for 15 years. I left home with a lot of anger. Men in this fellowship started hugging on me. I thought there were some funny people here. <laughs> Ain't no man ever hugged me. And these grandpas started telling me, I love, I love you. We didn't say that in our family. And after two years of being in this fellowship, I went back to San Diego, California, and I knocked on my mama's door. And I said, Mama, I love you. And we both cried because we had never said those words. In this fellowship is the love of God. This family taught me to love again. They taught me the love of God. Let's finish with a prayer. Holy Father, thank you so much for the saints that gather here and wherever they gather. We thank you for this unique, peculiar fellowship that we have, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we're people called for your own purpose. Thank you for the shepherds, for the ministers, for the members. We know that you put a task in our hands to take this gospel to every creature. Father, we only ask for wisdom, integrity, and discretion as you guide us to those that we meet and encounter. Help us to be better prepared that we might be able to speak your word in truth and in love because we know there are others out there just like us who haven't found their purpose, who haven't found you. And Father, we only pray that we can be used by you to help show them the love, the family, the grace, the mercy, the Savior that awaits them if they could but obey. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Shake a hand. Meet a friend.